Hi, welcome to Bipolar by Coastal. I'm Maria. And I'm Anna. And if you couldn't tell, we're twins. Maria's in Brooklyn. And Anna's in Baltimore. Our voices sound kind of similar, so pro tip. If you hear someone with a severe cold, that's probably Maria. And if you hear someone 15 minutes late to recording, that's Anna. We're no longer bicoastal, but we're still bipolar. Forever! Forever! Hello, welcome back to the podcast. Anna and I today are so lucky because we're being joined with, I think, our first guest of 20... 23. 23, yeah, actually. Um, and she's very, very, very special guest because... Today, we have Evie Davis, who did our show art. So those little pictures of Anna and I that you see and our Tyler, like that's that's Evie. So we're so happy to have her. Thanks, Evie. Welcome. So in addition to doing our show art, do you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself? My name is Evie Davis. As they said, mm-hmm. I live in Richmond, Virginia. I don't know. I do GIS. I like make maps for a living. And oh, cool. I have... So many. I've got like a lot of pets. I've got three cats and a dog and um, um, that's about it. (laughs) I'm trying to think of things that like aren't. um, I feel like every time at work when we have to do. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) Okay. Mm. At work when we have to do like uh, like any sort of icebreaker and I'm like, I don't know. I don't have any hobbies. Yeah, that's the energy one is like forced icebreaker at work i don't really have any hobbies i watch a lot of tv like i don't know i don't know to tell you so yeah evie's uh evie's b-reels are like beautiful house pets and bravo and other it's like all all from my couch yeah Yeah. (laughs) same exact spot on my couch every day every single day yeah and actually i've known of evie for i think like almost 11 years. 11 years now because she's very good friends. In fact, best friend of one of our best friends, Elena, who's been on the podcast a couple of times. And uh, I was Elena's roommate in college. Evie and Elena have known each other since high school, possibly no, middle school. No, before that. Oh, daycare. Oh, my God. Yeah. Actually, Evie, tell us how you know Elena. Yeah. Since we were, we went to the same daycare. Do I always say it that way? It's, it was my mom's daycare. My mom had yeah. a daycare, which is like very, <laughs> still very strange to me. Um, it was like at our house and Elena and her little sister, Ayel, were both at the daycare. And so mm-hmm. we know each other for like a very long time. I wasn't super close to any of the kids there because I think I was just like mindful that they were playing with my family and my toys and like stuff like that. And so Yeah, as you should be. They were in your house. Like, why? Thank you. Like <laughs> yeah. leaving boogers everywhere, like legitimately. <laughs> I don't know. And um, mostly and Elena. Mostly Elena. I'm not, and now you've said not it. Fingers. I've said it. Said it here. Um, it definitely wasn't some kid named John or something. Um, <laughs> um, next episode. I know. Can, can you bring him on, please? <laughs> and then I met Elena in high school, and then we became very, very good friends in high school. Yeah, amazing. We also had the pleasure of playing against Evie in Ultimate Frisbee tournaments in college because <laughs> yeah. of losing to, to Evie's losing to Evie in Ultimate Frisbee tournaments. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Another cool thing about Evie is that she has mental illness. So that's what we were here to talk about today. <laughs> no, I just wanted to hear about the experience of living in a daycare growing yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. We're doing a pivot. We've been wanting to have you on, like, basically since the show started. And just, like, I think one of the reasons that it hasn't happened yet is because I actually don't fully know what your diagnosis is or, like, what mental illness you have. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that, like when you first started to like notice something was up, when you started to seek help, like just kind of your journey in general. Yeah, sure. So I have major depressive disorder, 
and anxiety. And I've actually, I was diagnosed with that originally in like elementary school. So like pretty early on, but didn't, I think I was medicated in like middle school a little bit, kind of went off of it. Like our family just wasn't keeping up with it. I don't know how to describe it. It doesn't sound bad, but I was also doing better. And then um, I can basically Mm -hmm. like remember I've had depression for like almost as long as I can remember. Like since I like I can think back to like second grade points in time where I feel like feeling very depressed, mainly and like anxious, mainly about like school related stuff, uh, which sounds like wild for a second grader. But I remember Mm -hmm. it. Um, And then I think my like I feel like official diagnosis was um, in 11th grade. I went through like a very bad depressive episode, unable to go to school, Mm -hmm. um, like unable to get out of bed. And um, ended up being taken to an outpatient mental health facility um, mm-hmm. for two weeks and was uh, like linked up with a psychiatrist there. She she was the psychiatrist for all the like high schoolers or all the people there um, and ended up using her as my psychiatrist through like college and like early into my early 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's depression depression and anxiety. Um, I've gotten also more recently, I've been told that I probably have social anxiety too. And like, in addition to just like generalized anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know. It's like always kind of been like part of me. Um, I tried to describe it to my therapist one time because I saw it on my horoscope app <laughs> describe something mm-hmm. about basically being like, like, a cloak that you put on and take off often throughout your life. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. That's the way I feel about it. Like it's always kind of there with me and not necessarily mm-hmm. in like the saddest way possible. Yeah. Wait, so what's your horoscope <laughs> or what's your sign? What was I'm a Virgo. Okay. Okay. Our listeners are going to that means something to someone out there. I don't know. What are they just like your diagnosis as you're a Virgo? That's, that's all you need to know. Yeah. What? That's what all they told me. They're like, you're really, yeah. Okay. So can you tell me what it was like as a seven-year-old, what it felt like to know that you were depressed and anxious? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just remember feeling like this is an oversimplified way to say it, but like very sad. Like I just like Mm -hmm. felt extremely sad, like very weepy, um, anxious in ways that I like wasn't able to explain to my my family in any Mm -hmm. way. The thing is, like, I did recognize it to a certain extent. Like, I've got a lot, like, there's a lot of mental illness in my family, too. And I, like, grew up seeing depression as well. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of, like, recognized it. I didn't understand it, basically. A lot of it, and it, it, like, came out in ways of literally just, like, being unable to go to school. Like, being so anxious. And not for, like, a particular reason. But, like, not being able to put myself up to going to school. That's how it played out a lot of times when I was that young. So did you like tell your parents and that's what happened or or how did that work out? Yeah. So I think I told my parents, I think, and again, it was literally like me, like I had to ask them to like keep me home or like call in. And mm. so I felt badly about this too. Or it's like somebody would have to stay home with me a lot. Like that happened a lot mm. because I was so young and it would happen in ways like even when I was that young, I feel like it would happen like once or twice a school year where I'd get like especially bad or it would happen like it would be like a two day, two days in a random week 
And so I'd be out of school for like Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday, Sunday, and then I'd go back on Monday type of thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it also manifested as like, I would, and I don't even necessarily think I was like pretending to be sick. Well, you know what? I was pretending pretending to be sick. I think I didn't feel... Well, you were you were sick in the head. You were sick in the head. Sick in the head. He's like, I think I, I wasn't feeling well physically either, but I definitely did play that up because I think it got to the point too where it's like my parents were like, "You're a truant," you know, like you're gonna get in trouble. Like, like this is this is no good. And like teachers too, I thought like teachers, elementary school teachers, I feel like don't see it super often, and I could be wrong about that, but like they seemed mm-hmm. very confused about it as mm-hmm. well. Um, some of them were more understanding than others, and others were like, "Just do your like." collage you know like with the easiest like <laughs> homework in the world that I was like I had so much anxiety over I was like I don't know just make your like sugar cube pyramid you're you're gonna be fine like so you know, I was sick a lot honestly to stay home so going to the pediatrician a lot <laughs> that I was not actually sick for horribly embarrassing and um to the point where my pediatrician was like yeah no you're not sick <laughs> she's immune to every antibiotic right now like so it was a lot of like just trying to find ways to stay home but also yeah. crying a lot and I think it was also like my mom who has depression she recognized that there was something something up Ugh, yeah. I feel like as someone with bipolar disorder and like you know mental illness I'm like oh I like hope my kid doesn't get that but like probably they will get that and like I, it must be so hard to be like fuck they're seven and they're already like so depressed like I like I like remember seeing a psychiatrist or psychologist at some point. I remember my older sister, she's four years older than me, it was also having, was feeling depressed, um, was not like having a fantastic time at school. And so I think my mom like did it. It was like, as I was about to say, a two for one deal. That's horrible. But anyway, I brought us both in. <laughs> and um, and ha- like, but the thing is, I'm trying to remember how old. I feel like I was maybe in fourth grade at that point. But I think they mm-hmm. they did prescribe me very low dosage of it might have been Prozac, but I was young because I remember taking it into middle school. I can't quite remember, but it basically turned into one of those things where like I had depression. It didn't have me in bed every single day. It would happen kind of like a couple times a year and like anxiety was always there, but that was just the way it was. Yeah. I'd have like bouts of it every so often and like have to stay home from school. I think that's just the way it, like it kind of was for a while. Mm-hmm. Like it was fine. Like I was doing fine otherwise. And so it was just kind of one of those things like we kind of expected to happen. Mm-hmm. I like say that too. Like we expected it to happen. I don't think we ever really talked about it being like either seasonal mm-hmm. or like, a, you know, every once in a while. So there weren't conversations you're saying about how cyclical it was in nature, whether or not there was preempting events. But were you having conversations with your family during this time about what was happening? And if so, what did those conversations sound like or look like? I'm trying to remember. I don't think I really had any conversations with my dad about it mm-hmm. or my sister to a certain degree. My sister and I are super close nowadays, but weren't super close when we were younger. Right. I think I had more conversations with my mom again because I think she understood it more, but also was like just a little bit more worried about me and like right. overprotective. In this case, a good amount of protective, I think, but like she was like <laughs> very <laughs> so. I mean, a lot of it was just me, like, basically begging to stay home from school because I, like, yeah. would stay up all night and because mm. I'd be so anxious about whatever. A lot of times it was, like, literally just an assignment and then and I'd be so tired in the morning because I stayed up all night doing that and then, like, begging my mom to let me help stay home from school and then, like, really enjoying 
my day home from school, right? Watching TV and stuff like that. I watch yeah. my mom would leave in middle school. Back to like TV. That. So <laughs> back to TV, and then doing it like all over again, basically. So I don't know if we talked about it that much, other than I think when my mom that like those couple times, and again, I'm trying to remember exactly when it happened, but like brought me to a psychologist, and I think that happened mm-hmm. like twice before high school. Yeah. As I'm thinking about that, it sounds, and I feel like with depression and anxiety, like everyone gets sad, everyone gets anxious. And so I think sometimes it's hard for people to understand how much different depression and like generalized anxiety disorder are. I mean, it's on the fucking questionnaires, right? Like it, it affects your life. It makes it so you can't do things. You can't go to sleep. You can't go to school. You can't leave the house, like that sort of stuff. And I'm wondering, like, as you're talking about this, it sounds very difficult and i'm wondering if if there's been things that have like helped for you or periods where it started to get better or if it's kind of just been this thing that you're managing like at all times right yeah no for sure i mean it can be debilitating and i think it is something that's kind of always in the back of my mind like it's one of those things especially as i got into i'd say even into college and then beyond that i mm-hmm. felt very proud of myself for having mm-hmm. at that point at least i was seeing a psychiatrist and at least i was like medicated and I felt like I was like learning some of the patterns. If I could see something that I knew like a depressive episode was coming up or like mm-hmm. thinking about the way I was feeling and stuff like that. So I think it got to the point where I like it felt manageable. Again, like I started recognizing these things where it was like once a year, basically, I could figure that out. Or I figured out like at, when I was younger, I was living with my parents, like I would isolate myself from people. But when I was older, and I had roommates and stuff like that, it became like impossible to isolate myself that made things better. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's just like, it's gotten better Mm -hmm. over the time over time Mm -hmm. in terms of like, I feel good about the amount of work that I've done on myself. And like, in terms of Mm -hmm. therapy, too, is like, again, like a big thing I just said this, but like recognizing some of the signs beforehand, or like being able to figure out ways to cope throughout. And like mm-hmm. that being said, though, it's interesting because it, it does kind of um, morph over mm-hmm. time. So it's like I remember even just like a few, not not significantly, but just like with new experiences. So like I feel like a couple years ago, I was like, I'm in the best place I've been in terms of being able to manage this. Like I can tell mm-hmm. that something's mm-hmm. it's always going to come back. Like oh, it's always going to happen again. But mm-hmm. but then I would have some of like the hardest times that I've ever had or like feel a little bit more deeply about things. Or mm-hmm. have kind of like be, be a little bit much more scared than I had mm-hmm. been ever before. And so, and then realizing that, like, oh shit, like I need to bring this up to my therapist again and be like, okay, <laughs> I don't have this as handles <laughs> as I thought I did. Oh, and so, so frustrating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say it's like being medicated mm-hmm. at a place that I feel comfortable with, which has altered over time that hasn't been consistent. And then mm-hmm. also feeling like I know some of the signs and symptoms is always what makes it feel, it feels better. I mean, and again, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't even think of it in a sad way necessarily. Like, I'm, I'm resentful in, like, some ways because it, like, just mm-hmm. sucks, right? But at the same time, I'm also, like, this is just, it's been this way for so long and it's, like, a part of my life. And I don't necessarily think of myself as, like, a sad person. But mm-hmm. I always have this, like, hint, hint of depression <laughs> around the corner of, like, it could happen at mm-hmm. any point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, because... I mean, I I was super curious what your diagnoses were. Just that's not the only reason why we asked you. I was just ask you invasive questions under the guise of a podcast episode. But I was super curious because I I thought it was something like depressive disorder and anxiety because mm-hmm. I knew it wasn't bipolar. Even though, as we'll get into, you were on Seroquel for a long time. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know this is like not necessarily helpful to say, but I'm going to say it anyways, is that you would just wouldn't know from knowing you that you have depression and anxiety because you are one of the funniest people I know, if not the funniest person I know. And I feel like I always see you. Maybe this is like the bias, but I guess I always see you when you're around at least one of your favorite people. So maybe that's part of it. But also I feel like everything you like from my version of your the life that you live, which correct me <laughs> if and when I'm wrong, it just seems like you have all these like fun parties with your fun group of friends or in college. And you're also hilarious. And I know that obviously being depressed and having anxiety doesn't mean that those things can't happen. But I guess it's one of those things where obviously I know it shows up differently for different people. But I guess you're masking. Well, I don't know what to, I don't know what the question is there, but I just no, I know what you're saying. Like, I, <laughs> I, well, okay. So one thing I will say about that, though, is that my social life has always been like a really good part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always had pretty good friends. I've always had, I've always felt supported socially. Mm-hmm. And so that's never, for the most part, been a cause of my depression. Mm-hmm. And while I do have like some social, like things socially can happen where I feel like I've like made a misstep somewhere and then I overthink that and that can make me feel depressed. It's usually like, mm-hmm. it's not related to that. So when, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've really dry throat. Um, so when mm-hmm. I, um, and with my friends, I do tend to be pretty happy. Mm-hmm. I think it manifests itself in other ways where like, a lot of my adulthood depression centers around work stuff. Mm. And a lot of it's like pretty irrational. I mean, it goes back to like why I didn't want to go to school, I guess. It, like none of it really quite makes sense because I was doing fine at it. So anyway, a lot of it has to do with work and like general, like my ideas of life and like where I'm going in life and like stuff like mm. that. And so I think I can, it can manifest in me isolating myself from friends. So there are periods of time where like my friends, I think will notice that I'm like, I'm not coming to things or I'm not answering things as much or, or something mm-hmm. like that. But in terms of when I am around people, for mm-hmm. the most part, I feel good enough. And if I am masking, it's not like I'm not trying hard to do it. Yeah. Also for context for those listening, because I don't know Evie. Evie is very smart, very good, both at school and work. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild because it's like what mental illness is, right? But like you like have this like you own this like beautiful house. You have like a bajillion pets who are like so cute and adorable. Like you have this very grown up job and I believe you have like a master's degree as well, right, Evie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think what it is is those are things that you care a lot about. So it makes sense that that's like where your anxiety is manifested is those things because clearly they're they're things that mean a lot to you and are pretty important to you. Yeah. And I think it's it's like a perfectionist thing that doesn't mm-hmm. make sense to me. No, I was just gonna say like a perfectionist mm-hmm. thing that I don't like having, but I like not letting people down or like not mm-hmm. looking bad in some way, which is like right. annoying. Like I wish I could kind of get rid of that. But yeah, I think it's mainly around that. Yeah. And then I guess what's as we're talking about this, what's interesting is that you're saying that now you have a social anxiety aspect to it as well. So do you mind like going into what that's like? So is that what you're saying where like you'll stop showing up to things? Is that because of the social anxiety or like what made them give you that new diagnosis? Yeah, no. And the thing is, it was work related again. So it was literally like the, it was, which is so silly. It was literally the way I felt my interactions with other people at work were going and like not necessarily like my close co-workers but with other people and I think a lot of that was like I had pretty bad imposter syndrome and I could have that like everywhere I go and I'm trying to remember like it literally was just interactions I think part of that too was coming from like a culture that was not fantastic and so I was feeling like really insecure 
constantly. And so like every interaction I had with somebody, especially somebody higher up or somebody that maybe had like a more technical skill than I did, Mm -hmm. really made me feel like I was just thinking about it like constantly. Um, And it made me feel like dread the next day and having the possibility of bringing that up again. I still kind of have that where like I think about like certain projects that I might be behind on or whatever. And I like don't I like think about the interaction I have to have with somebody at work about it. So I think that's mainly where it came from. I will say I do have a certain amount of social anxiety. Like when I go out, so I go to a lot of concerts alone. That's so I cool. Used to feel, it is cool. And I used to feel like really fine doing it for the most part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, I will feel like very awkward about it. And I can't put, mm-hmm. I think it is when I'm feeling depressed in general. So I think overall, right. like my body's not feeling fantastic. And so that'll come out then. And then I'll like overthink that. Like, oh God, I look like an idiot. Like just standing there eating my like chicken fingers while sorry, at the bar while lunch. I don't know, like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Which then makes me think about the next thing I want to go to and kind of like ruins maybe like potentially a possible event after that. And so I think it is like a lot of it's like the overthinking about certain things. It was my therapist who suggested that it could be social anxiety. And so, you know, I've always been super, super shy. And so I think I do overthink things a lot anyway. And like, I'm really bad with uh, names and faces. I'm convinced because when somebody introduces themselves to me, I'm so focused on like me saying hi that I just don't even remember their name or face. Anyway, yeah, yeah. lots of stuff together. And Is we there, do have um, some group oh, chats just kind of dedicated to how weird you eat chicken fingers. And so I'm glad that yeah. you addressed that. <laughs> the pot, the pot yeah. wondering. Always alone at a bar. Sorry <laughs> <laughs> <like>, again. <laughs> yeah. What do you do about social anxiety? Is there like, is it a therapy thing? Like, there are strategies? Is that anything that works for you? Um, really? I mean, so a lot of it is like checking the facts. Like, I use that a lot of it, basically being like, yeah. I, I constantly think about the other person's, what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. But then in reality, I like start thinking about, I'm like, this is exactly what happened. This is what was said. You can't assume you know what they were thinking. You have to consider like, that's probably not at all what they were thinking about. And also if they were thinking about that, then like, who cares at all? And so I think I had to do a lot of that, which again, is like just even more thinking, but <laughs> I don't know. And a lot of it also is like therapy by immersion, like forcing myself to do things. It has been actually really helpful. Um, instead of avoiding things, I'm really, I can be really avoiding things, but like making myself do it always makes me feel better. Even if it gets the awkward moment over with, if it is an awkward and it usually is mm-hmm. a moment. So yeah. So yeah. I love that. I love the checking the facts thing. I feel like I would call it like evidence, but I like checking the facts. Yeah. I'm gonna steal that. Yeah. Yeah. You were also on Sarah Quill for years and years and years and years. What was your math to you both getting on and off that medication? Because spoiler alert, that was not the right medication for you to be on. Like, what was that journey like? Right. So that is a relic of me going to that outpatient center in 11th grade. Right. Yeah. Every single person, as far as I knew, because I think we like talked about it at one point, Mm -hmm. every single one of those kids was prescribed Seroquel just at a different dosage. Um, And so I was on, I know, I was on like a lower dosage. Uh-huh. And the idea behind that is that apparently, another doctor, apparently used in conjunction with an antidepressant like Prozac, which is what I was prescribed, it is somehow therapeutic, right? So it like, and part of it too was that I wasn't sleeping, like I was forcing my right. to stay up right. all night. Yeah. And so it literally <laughs> forced me to sleep. 
Yeah. And so, and so it was like interesting because it really did. It like did the trick at the time, right? Like I didn't know any better. And it really like, I did start feeling better. I was sleeping again. And once I got onto the medicine, like it seemed to go well. The issue with it is I think you're right. Well, number one, (laughs) I don't even know how to describe this. I shouldn't have been on it maybe to begin with, but also for as long as I was on it. Right. And because I think I was on it for almost almost 10 years yeah it's a really long time i think you're right yeah it was almost 10 years which is also another thing too where it's like i was going to college after that i was drinking a lot while taking Mm -hmm. seroquel like doing things that i like i was always cognizant of it to a certain degree by cognizant i mean probably just afraid but then like whatever but yeah and it got to the point where like it became more trouble than it was doing any sort of good for me uh especially if i missed a dosage and mm. I would just go through like the gnarliest withdrawal symptoms, like just oh, horrible, God. like shaking, like wanting, like, like not throwing up, but like feeling like I need to throw up. Yeah. Um, it feels like so, you have, um, anyway, eight, the flu, if you don't, if you miss a dosage yeah. and you're at like a high dose, like you're saying, it's a very powerful medication and that it can make you fall asleep, which is great because a lot of mental yeah. illness like makes you stay awake, but holy shit, does it knock you out if you miss a dose, which in 10 years you're bound to do occasionally oh, like especially when you're in high school and yeah. college <laughs> yeah and, and i didn't do it like super often but it would happen i mean and i also one of those in high school too like if i like hooked up with somebody or whatever like mm, it would right. fuck me up for like at, you know like a while afterwards because i missed that dose or like yeah. i'd have to if i took it later then i'd have to sleep all, all day you know like so it messed with me in that way it also messed with me in terms of like yeah and if i couldn't get a refill for whatever reason like right. god i felt like i was being held hostage like, <laughs> yeah, really, like, really. I really like i was like oh my god please like please give it to me like i'm gonna feel like shit if i don't do this but anyway it got to the point where i like it just wasn't doing anything for me it's causing lots of trouble in my life and so i got to the point where i had a new psychiatrist mm-hmm. and pretty like right when i started with him i basically was like i would like to like wean off of this and he he agreed right away which i really appreciated and was also like you shouldn't have been on this for so long like it can have some pretty bad effects on your body yeah. she was like he was also like you should have been getting blood blood tests pretty frequently just to check on like your liver functions and stuff like that which i never got like i never was told to get those no anyway i started going off of it i think it was like a several month process where i just went down in dosage and i remember it being like it was tough but like not as tough obviously as just going cold turkey which i think you can go into withdrawal symptoms for like months after technically like if you mm. continue on wow but but yeah it was weird i don't know it was wild and then i finally went off of it and i'm like very glad i did again in the sense because it did its trick right when i needed it up front but wasn't doing what it needed to anymore i didn't need it i think we've talked about this before but just like other symptoms as well and this is like i talked about this when i went to the OBGYN where mm. i was noticing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. nipple discharge um so fucking crazy i know so, <laughs> like, the wildest thing in the world and, <laughs> and and like apparently could have been from the seroquel like it could have been just that i was taking it so long and had built up in my system that and it affected my hormones in a way that that could have just started happening which by the way has stopped so it's yeah. like one of those things where i think <laughs> that that is but it lasted for quite a long time but it ha- did last for a little like a couple like over a year after I stopped taking Seroquel. Like it just changed my body chemistry that much or my brain chemistry or whatever that much that that happened. So yeah, wild stuff. I think that like genuinely is like a known symptom though of 
yeah we have so we have fun. another friend who went through the same thing yeah fucking yeah. wild and also i already know the answer i think but just to confirm no one told you about any of those like side effects or symptoms or withdrawals or anything like that like when you were put onto the medication right no no and it like no. and granted too <laughs> on it they i mean they treat also treated it as like an emergency situation when i was put on it and yeah. i was under 18 but yeah no i had no idea how much that was going to affect my life for the next yeah. 10 years yeah. and then yeah. may, p- potentially beyond you know so <laughs> yeah. i think yeah Anne and i are both if you listen to the patreon you i we've talked about it more on there but Anne and i are both also in the process of, of tapering off tapering down and off and i want to say i want to first preface this with like preface this with like we're not doctors a really important part mm-hmm. of most mental illnesses and like especially bipolar disorder is sleeping and like you have to sleep and so i think like you're saying evie like it, it is like for some people probably it's a good thing for a long term for a lot of people it's a good thing in the short term but like it is a gnarly drug for us at least and i haven't found many psychiatrists who are super open to talking to me about like the symptoms and stuff like that because for somebody who doesn't have to go through it like it's hard to describe like they're like oh we'll just take it every night and then you won't have any withdrawal symptoms and like that's your fucking yep. issue or like you know like oh okay so like for an hour and a half after you wake up every morning you feel like you're genuinely drugged and like can't get out of bed but like just wake up earlier then you know and like it's just like not a thing that I've had much luck up until my current psychiatrist like have had much luck getting them to take super seriously but I think it's worth talking about like just because the side effects like aren't like super visible to them or whatever like doesn't mean that they're not having like an hour and a half every morning of like feeling like shit like that's over 10 years like that's a lot of your life and and for what there should be a really good reason for that to happen you know right and i i uh, like completely agree with that because like i'm a big advocate for medication use for therapeutic purposes like i like i love me some prozac like i I don't know (laughs) that's done me well over the years yeah like that and then uh, any other medication that genuinely suits your needs and Mm -hmm. doing i guess at least more good than bad right but i think Mm -hmm. it is like i think it's really cool that you guys are also like talking about getting off of something that is not suiting your needs right now and like at least Mm -hmm. having that discussion with with different psychiatrists so super important yeah also do they all have like different copies of like i feel like none of the information from one psychiatrist to another is the same i've never heard (laughs) the same list of symptoms the same idea of what yeah. happens like i thought i was getting my blood tested for lithium and now i'm realizing maybe also for seroquel who knew or like i just found out from my psychiatrist just recently that when i had an elevated cholesterol number in my labs recently it was probably because of the seroquel and i was like what do you mean i didn't know that that was could be at all impacted and she was like yeah that's a common thing and i was like what do you mean like why has no one told me these things when you say comment <laughs> right exactly yeah. anyways so yeah and Anna and i are both we're both still i mean i'm we're still on lower doses of seroquel and on other mm-hmm. medications like i bipolar is sort of like you actually genuinely like do you have to be on medication for it yes in mm-hmm. our opinions people do people don't all the time but yeah I but not not something i'm eager to try um <laughs> yeah. but yeah if you if you don't want to have episodes it's a really great way to not have them oh uh, for the but, yeah for as long as we can 
Evie, you and I have talked a bit about body image offline and specifically the book by she who will not be named about dieting and how it's not a real thing. Did you want to share a little bit about your journey with that and how your mental health journey has influenced your body image? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm great. I was just about body image in general. Yeah. Like I've had, I don't know, forever. I love it. I've also talked about a therapist about this. And she's like, when do you feel like for your first memory of like having body image stuff? I, was like, I don't know. Like I honestly like don't have that type of stuff, but I have it a lot now is all I can say. And so mm-hmm. yeah, I don't say, yeah, that, that book, the book really helped me just in terms of like, I don't know. I was constantly thinking about eating and I've I still have like a very strange dynamic with exercise for like for most of my life if I wasn't if it wasn't specifically sports related then whenever I exercised it was specifically to change my body in some way and so it's very difficult for me now to to exercise or move in a way that's like joyful or like good for my mental health you know stuff you hear that's like stuff like that because the whole time I'm thinking like ooh, like this is gonna be good for my butt or like ooh, like this is good you know whatever it is so I like really struggle with that that's actually a big part of not a big part but something that affects my depression anxiety nowadays and like didn't Mm. so much when I was younger but definitely does now and I think actually that part actually plays into the social anxiety now that I think about it where I remember going back to work after COVID, for instance, like having a lot of anxiety around the way that I looked in front of other people and the way that what they were thinking about me, or like I would have fat phobic thoughts. I had to go through this with my therapist too, like fat phobic thoughts about other people, which is like I had, to, I was like so, which was like so jarring to me because I was like, oh my God, this is like ha- people have this about me too. You know, like it was just like this like right. weird, weird okay. dynamic that was happening. That's, it's an ongoing, ongoing thing for sure. My biggest realization, I think, was going to the OBGYN and getting weighed. Um, but then also shortly after that, during COVID, watching um, Brittany Runs a Marathon. She <laughs> just showed on movie. Um, oh, I've I've seen like the trailer for it, but I haven't yeah. actually watched the movie. Yeah. With Jillian Bell um, mm-hmm. and who I like love, think is so funny and watch that. But anyway, the whole thing is like... <laughs> She gets into shape to run a marathon, and, but they keep on showing her getting onto a scale, and it like put me over the edge. Like there's something yeah. about it where like I had like a breakdown specifically because of those moments of them showing her stepping onto a scale. Mm-hmm. Whereas I hadn't weighed myself in years because I think I already knew like these feelings were coming on, and I was like, I, anyway. And so and I remember texting a friend of the show again, Elena, about <laughs> this, and um. And I think she was the one that was just like, do you think, in like the nicest way possible and like the best Elena way possible was like, do you think that maybe you should talk to your therapist specifically <laughs> about body image? Because it seems like you're basically like saying like I'm having, which I was like an overreaction to something that seems, so, yeah, it was just like, obviously I was having some sort of re- like reaction to this that was over the top. No, that's like so important. And I, I think, well, you said a lot. So I want to... um remark on all of but to just to start with i think the whole idea of the ex-athlete thing where you go from moving your body for actually quite joyful reasons like which no one really talks about but it's fun to play a sport with like, your friends and to you know i'm not saying that i never had disordered thoughts around exercise when i was doing that but it is quite different to that go from that kind of movement to other types and not have to be a punishment or feel like a punishment and that was an adjustment that I found certainly quite difficult. Like, I feel like I've made the adjustment, but it 
took a long time and it's not a perfect version of it. And the other thing I want to remark upon is I don't know exactly why, but the scale thing is so triggering. The knowing your weight thing is so triggering. I think part of it is because we're all privileged to live in bodies that we don't hear a lot of people tell us are fat all the time or we don't move through the society in a way that Mm -hmm. is very limited by the size of our bodies. So if we had those bodies, the number is an issue, but it's it's also a lot of other things too. But yeah, like when you're in your head, you're like, okay, we can kind of like just live without knowing these things and have our suspicions and then to have it confirmed. I I had a really bad time with body image after I was weighed. I don't know. It's somewhere on the podcast is when it started happening, but somewhere within the past year. And it's, yeah, I wish they wouldn't do that. <laughs> We've talked about this so often, but I know. Well, they really should ask. And I'm not, like, I'm, I'm, no, it's the thing is, I'm my, my own worst enemy because, like, when I go to the OBGYN, they don't tell you. I, like, physically, I, like, I avert my eyes and they've never told me, but mm-hmm. I will look down. And it is one of those yeah. things where I don't know. And even the most recent time, I didn't look down, but I somehow, I, like, looked at the sheet that they gave me, that, like, the checkout sheet, which just had oh all my God. vitals on it. it has everything. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, come on. Which had it on there too. Yeah, and it was yeah. like, it was, you know, and it was a way different number than I anticipated. And so I was like, oh, God. And so luckily my reactions have gotten better. I think I've grown in a lot of ways in that, but it's still just one of those things where I'm just like, oh, God. Yeah, that number. I feel that unless whatever you're coming in for, the amount that you weigh is going to be like a very important part of treating whatever you're coming in for. I just don't think it needs to happen every single time that you're at any doctor. I just don't. Like, I think that it genuinely like should be not a part of routine doctor's visits. I, I, I don't know I, like, how to standardize that, but that's my yeah. opinion. <laughs> yeah. Did I tell you, I like, um, I don't know what the word is I was going to say. What's that thing that, that senators do when they're trying to run out time? Oh, filibuster? Oh, yeah, filibustered my therapist. <laughs> I don't know if that's a correct term, but that's the one that popped into my head, or I guess not the actual term, obviously. But um, I was at the physical therapist, so I have really now chronic and getting debilitating lower back pain, which has been such a fun journey to be on um, with my body as well. And it's around the corner, baby. Yeah, it's been forever, but it's gotten worse for sure recently. And um, uh, anyways, the physical therapist we like went through the whole thing and he like asked about weight up top and I was like you know I'm really not trying to get into this to lose weight or like anything like that like I I just I oftentimes I'll just say I have a history of disordered eating which Mm -hmm. was never diagnosed who knows but I think it's a better reaction out of like doctors if you just like say that and they get scared a little bit and mm-hmm. that's a fun tip from me. But again, I think it only works if you're in a body that isn't <laughs> explicitly fat. So take it with a grain of salt. But anyways, I like said that and he was like, well, we like do weigh people as a matter of course here. And I was like, of course you do. And I said, well, okay, but I don't want to see the weight. And he's like, well, I, we can maybe do that. And I was like, well, does it go on any of the charts or anything like that? And he was like, well, yes, yes, it does. <laughs> and I think like, I just like made him so uncomfortable. Like, he like, went through the rest of the questions. I just never weighed me and i've been back there like 10 times since then and it hasn't come up since and yeah. at this point i think i would be okay that's amazing my weight, but <laughs> you never why chance it yeah i was sweating so much during that conversation <laughs> I was like, 
it made me feel so uncomfortable to push back this authority figure that way but yeah i was was like i just really don't want to do that today it's 8 30 i'm like i have the rest of the day ahead of me (laughs) who knows but yeah again i think that comes a lot of privilege and if i came in with lower back pain and like a much larger body they would have been like well that's we can't even treat you until you lose this amount of weight so um (laughs) all that to say (laughs) who knows if it'll keep working but um really make them have to come back to it (laughs) (laughs) okay that's actually really good advice though because i feel like i've been avoiding any sort of like medical like anything Mm -hmm. like because i'm specifically i don't want to get weighed like it's become a thing but like But like if, yeah, so you have if, an disorder. if this is giving confidence to question <laughs> question the weighing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. like the the you know, standing back without a scale, like not looking down, like those are good to a point, but like your little intrusive thoughts are gonna you're just gonna be able to figure out somehow. Like it's gonna go somewhere. Yeah. So yeah. Okay, cool. Well I that's that's about all the time we have. First, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Like it was mm-hmm. so interesting just for me personally, and I know that our listeners are gonna get a lot out of it as yeah well i wanted to ask is there anything that you want to plug art wise like is there anything are you doing like commissions on your instagram i know that you're doing that for a second or like anything else that you want to just or even just like plug your instagram so people can go look at your art there sure yeah i'm not really doing commissions unless oh thank you mm-hmm. unless um <laughs> unless anybody has something special that they want to do i like doing stuff kind of for fun that's kind of low pressure helps me in my mental health if it's something that was fun and if you need done and like my friends mm-hmm. asked me to draw like a little t-shirt and stuff like that but yeah check out my mm-hmm. instagram if you want to it's extra underscore beefy <laughs> it's really good <laughs> thanks yeah, yeah there's also a lot of good dog pictures there and like ev and overalls is like a lot of that uh it's yeah. <laughs> and any well. workaholics content that you need is in the stories yeah. Maria, is it okay if we put the picture that Evie did of your butt as the show art for Yeah, it's the Instagram photo for this episode? Yeah, of course. I can send it to you. Okay, great. So you'll see Evie's work there too. In addition yeah. to every time you could work. It's podcast. the most commented on thing in my apartment, like by far. Yeah. More than the cats. It's my favorite position. Possession, Evie, the position that you did. <laughs> Thank you for saying the thing about like thinking fat fabric things in your head and realizing like that was a part of it for you. Cause I think that's a really common experience. I know that's one that I've caught myself with and just in general thinking mm-hmm. negative thoughts about other people that are really just me telling on myself about how I'm feeling about my own self during that time. So I like appreciate you saying that. And I think that's way more universal than a lot of people want to say it is so and also really that you actually did bring up your therapist and you've been working on that good for you <laughs> it took me a little bit to admit but it, it really helped when i did bring it up yeah <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us eb if anyone has any questions or comments you can email us at bipolarbicoastal at gmail.com you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Bipolar by Coastal. And if you think that you might have bipolar disorder or if you've been put on Seroquel for some reason by your doctor, yeah. uh, you can also find us at facebook.com slash groups slash Bipolar by Coastal Secret, which is our secret Facebook group for people who have bipolar disorder. Yes. And if you want more content from us, you can go to patreon.com slash bipolar by coastal and we released new episodes whenever we feel like it. And we're going to record one later this week. So look out for that. Thanks you so much for coming on, Evie. Thanks, Evie. Yay. Thank you guys. I'm flattered. (laughs) 
Yes, sir. <laughs> We're so excited. You should be. <laughs> An elite circle. An elite circle. Okay, well, bye. Bye. All right, bye. bye.